If you're new here today, welcome. We're glad you're here. You picked a great Sunday to come to Destiny Church. We're starting a new series today, spending six weeks in the book of Jonah. Six weeks in the book of Jonah. And so I want to invite you to open in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. If you don't know where Jonah is, it's in the Old Testament. And today we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And the, the title of today's sermon is A Rebel and the Grace of God. Now, many of us, if not most of us, are probably familiar with the story of Jonah. How many of you have heard this story before? If you grew up in church or if you went to Sunday school, you certainly heard the story of Jonah. I think Jonah was the backup plan that in case the Sunday school teacher didn't show up, they would just pull out Jonah and teach Jonah. I, I don't know why it was that, but it seemed that we heard the story of Jonah a lot in Sunday school. Uh, the, the story of Jonah is, is, is permeated into our culture. People know, know this story of Jonah, even if they've never even been to church many times. The story of the prophet that was swallowed by a big fish or a whale, as people say sometimes. In fact, even in the, the story, The Adventures of Pinocchio, Pinocchio's maker, Geppetto, gets swallowed by a big fish. Do you remember that? An obvious reference to this story of Jonah. And especially if you ever watched the Veggie Tales. Did anybody ever see Veggie Tales? Veggie Tales came out with a full-length feature film on the story of Jonah. And Jonah, the part of Jonah, was portrayed, of course, by Archibald Asparagus. None other than the famous, infamous Archibald Asparagus. But what I want you to know is that this is not a children's story. This book of the Bible, this story, it is not a story for children. The themes in this book are quite complex and very deep. There's theological issues going on, questions that are raised about God's sovereignty and the way that he rules his creation. There's questions raised about the way that God relates to sinful people. There's questions raised about how God can, can endure injustice and wickedness in the world. There's personal questions raised about heart issues, very deep-rooted heart issues, issues of prejudice and bias and, and nationalism and even racism we're going to see as we get into the book of Jonah. How many of you know that those aren't children's issues. It deals with obeying God's voice and listening to his call. And the overarching theme that we see is that it showcases God's profound and radical love. A love that confounds our understanding and confounds our human logic. A love that is so extreme that at times it does not make sense to us. And Jonah, of course, is a short book. Uh, you can read it in about 10 minutes. It's only four chapters long. 
And I would encourage you to, to begin reading this book of the Bible. You should read it. I would encourage you to read it every week as we go through this study together. You could even write down, take a journal and write down what God is speaking to you through your time reading through this book of the Bible. Today we're looking at, a, at the first three verses. And the key to understanding the rest of the book is found in these three verses today. And so that's why we're going to spend our time unpacking them to understand the, the, the context that's happening in these first three verses. So Jonah chapter 1 verse 1 says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. This opening line here of this book is very significant. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. This phrase, the word of the Lord came, this is typically how a prophet, how their story is communicated in the Bible. This is typically how a, a, a story about a prophet is told in the Bible. And you can find many examples of this phrase used with other prophets in the Bible. You can see God speaking to Isaiah in this way, Jeremiah in this way, Ezekiel in this way. In other books of the Bible, you can see where it says, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. And in fact, this is one of the clues that helps us ground the book of Jonah in history and not in fiction. This phrase right here helps us to understand that this is a historical, literal story, not a fictional tale. Now, there's a couple of reasons why I believe that this is a, a true story. And I know that, that for some modern people today, this is, this is hard to believe. The story of Jonah is, is believed to be a tale or a fable or a parable. But there's several reasons why uh, we, and myself especially, believe it is a true and literal story. And I know that modern people today struggle with the idea of miracles and the supernatural realm. But for us as Christians... This should not be that hard to believe. This, that the fact that a man was swallowed by a big fish, this is not the greatest miracle in the Bible. The greatest miracle in the Bible is the issue of, of the heart of the, of the Bible, and that is that God became a man, that he lived without sin, that he entered into human history as the man Jesus Christ, that he willingly went to the cross to die for sinners, to shed his blood for his enemies, that he rose from death on the third day, totally alive, totally healed, 
totally victorious over Satan and death, that he ascended into the, into the heavens and is seated at the right hand of the Father, that one day soon he is returning to judge the world and to establish a kingdom that will never end. That, my friends, is the greatest miracle in the Bible, by far. And so if you can believe that, you can believe that a big fish swallowed a guy named Jonah. Secondly, Jesus believed and taught that this was a literal historical story. In, in uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus taught that this is a literal story, that this is a, a, a real account. And I know that there are even modern Bible teachers who will say that this wasn't a real story, but, you know, I'm going to side with the Lord Jesus. That's just my way of interpreting the Bible. I don't really care what anybody else says. If Jesus says it, we're going with that. So I'm, I believe this is a real story, a true story, a literal story, and that we should read it as such. Now this phrase, um, the word of the Lord came saying, or the word of the Lord came to Jonah, this is where the similarities to the other prophetic writings stops. This is where all the similarities end. Normally when a prophet heard from God to communicate his message, he was sent to God's people. Here, Jonah is not sent to God's people, the Israelites. Jonah is sent to the Ninevites. We're going to learn a little bit about them today. God is sending Jonah not to Israel. He's sending him on an evangelistic missions trip outside the country. And this in the prophets is totally unique. No other prophet is called to go to a foreign country except for Jonah. Now, other prophets were given prophetic words about other countries, but they were always able to give them from the comfort of their hometown. Never was a prophet called to leave their place of safety, their nation, and to go to another nation. However, Jonah is called to leave Israel and travel to Nineveh. Now, also the prophet God chooses is very strange. If you are going to pick a prophet to go outside of the country and go to Nineveh, you would not pick the prophet Jonah. Let me explain to you why. Not much background is given in the book of Jonah, but in the book of 2 Kings chapter 14, we see the story of a man named Jonah, the prophet Jonah, the son of Amittai. And in 2 Kings chapter 14, it tells the story of Jonah and his relationship to a king named Jeroboam II. Now, what you need to know about Jeroboam II was he was a bad dude. He was not a good king. He was a king in Israel, but he did not love the Lord. He did not serve the Lord. He did not follow the Lord. He led God's people away from God. This king, Jeroboam II, he led God's people into idolatry, not to worship the true and living God, but to worship idols made with hands. 
He led God's people into foreign and pagan practices. Jeroboam was not a good king. The Bible said that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so God calls on prophets to come and prophesy against Jeroboam. You might know of the prophet Amos. He prophesies against Jeroboam. The prophet Hosea also prophesies against Jeroboam. However, in 2 Kings chapter 14, we find that the prophet Jonah is not prophesying against Jeroboam. You see, one of the things that Jeroboam did was he rallied the people of Israel to war. In the time before Jeroboam came to power, Israel had been attacked. Foreign nations had encroached on her borders and pushed the people of Israel further back into their country. Foreign nations like Assyria, which is um, the the nation that God sent uh, Jonah to, had encroached on Israel's borders. Jeroboam rallies the people of Israel to go to war and to recapture that territory, to push back and extend the borders of Israel and to secure their borders. And so when we read about Jonah in 2 Kings chapter 14, he's not prophesying against Jeroboam, but he's prophesying in favor of Jeroboam's military campaigns. He's saying, go to war, Jeroboam, extend the borders, strengthen the borders. Jonah totally overlooks Jeroboam's leading of God's people uh, and their downward decline spiritually and morally because he agrees with what Jeroboam is doing for the nation. Even though Jeroboam is leading them further away from God, Jonah's a very patriotic guy. He says, well, I know he's setting up idols in the temple, and I know he's leading God's people away, but he's expanding our borders. It's really good for our economy. I like his policies on this. And so he doesn't prophesy against the evil He only prophesies in favor of what he thinks is the greater good. I know this is not applicable to anything going on in our country today. You see, Jonah was intensely patriotic. He loved his country. So he's willing to overlook Jeroboam's wickedness to support his expanding and strengthening of Israel's borders. And this is the prophet that God chooses to send outside of Israel's borders to the nation that Israel was warring with to take back her territory. God sends this prophet to go and preach to Nineveh. In chapter 1, verse 2, we read where God says, Arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. At the time that God speaks to Jonah, it's about 760 B.C. 
Assyria, which is the nation, and Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. Assyria is Israel's neighbor just to the east. And at the time God speaks to Jonah, the Assyrians are coming onto the world stage as the most powerful empire the world has ever seen. They are ascending to power. They are conquering nations, and they are right on the border with Israel. Now, what you need to know about the Assyrians is, how many of you know much about Assyrian history? Yeah, right, you don't. Let me tell you a little bit about the Assyrians. They were quite quite possibly the most cruel and inhumane society ever in human history. They are described as a terrorist state, talking about what they did and the way that they conquered these nations that they they took captive. Just talking about it, it could be rated R. It is extreme what they did to the people that they captured. Their kings had their exploits written down in great detail so that future generations like us could marvel at their cruelty and their barbarism. They had, they had huge stone walls where they had people carve into these depictions of the things I'm about to describe to you, that we still have these, these carvings to this day. When Assyria would conquer a city or conquer a nation, when the city would fall after they besieged it, and the armies would march upon it, as they would begin to execute the soldiers and the the kings in that city, one of their most popular ways of doing this was to dismember the people while they were alive. They would start by cutting off their legs one at a time. And after they had cut their legs off from them, they would cut off their left arm. And they would leave this person as they were dying with one arm attached so that they could walk by and shake his hand and mock him as he was there dying. After they would decapitate their victims... They would impale their heads onto large poles. And then they would make the families of those men carry these poles throughout the city in this twisted, sick parade. They ripped out people's tongues. They chopped off men's privates. They burned children in front of their parents. They would stretch prisoners out so tightly with ropes so that they could come and skin them alive. And then they would hang those skins in their castles as decorations. You wouldn't want to follow an Assyrian king on Pinterest. It would be quite a grisly sight. Those who survived would be subjugated to a life of intense and brutal slavery. And this is the fate that hundreds of thousands of people suffered as hundreds of cities fell and as the Assyrians rose to power. 
they reigned in the region for 250 years. And God calls Jonah to go and to preach to them to repent from their wicked and evil ways. And so when God says their evil has come up before me, he says it's time for someone to go and to preach to them and to call them to repentance. But in verse 3, what do we read that Jonah did? Did he obey the Lord? No. Unlike the other prophets who obeyed God's call, Jonah doesn't obey God. He runs from God. It tells us three times that he uh, was trying to get to a city called Tarshish. Tarshish, you need to know, is 2,200 miles to the west. It's at the southern tip of Spain. It was, in Jonah's day, the furthest extent of the known world. Jonah literally runs in the opposite direction, as far away from God as he can possibly go. This would be like God calling you to go preach in Miami, and you go down to the airport and you ask for a ticket to Anchorage, Alaska. It's the totally opposite direction. Jonah is not obeying God. But yet here at this point in the story, we don't know why Jonah isn't obeying God. It doesn't tell us. We're left to think. We're left to wonder. We're left to imagine. Do you think possibly he's afraid of what will happen to him? If he walks in as an Israelite, into the, 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 the capital city of his mortal and sworn enemy, the nation he's at war with, and he begins to preach against their evil and preach that they turn to God in repentance, do you think he might be worried about what would happen to him? How many of you would be worried? If he was afraid, it, it's for good reason. Jonah, he would likely be killed on this assignment. For context from our modern history, this would be like in 1940, during the height of World War II, if a Jewish rabbi walked into Berlin in Nazi Germany and stood up and began to preach that they should repent of their sin, how long do you think that Jewish rabbi would last in Berlin in 1940? Not very long. This is, the, this is the context. This is what God is asking Jonah to do. He's asking him to risk his life for the salvation of the people who are trying to kill him and destroy his nation. And what you need to know is that about 40 years after Jonah prophesied, after about 40 years after the story, the Assyrians do conquer the people of Israel. They do take Israel into captivity. Put yourself in Jonah's shoes for just a moment. Would you go? Would you go on this assignment? Would you obey God? You know, last week, uh, Bob Sayer, our missionary to China, he was here and he was telling us about the way that the Chinese state is cracking down on the Christian church in China. How many of you remember that? How many of you were here and heard about 
the persecution that our brothers and sisters in Christ are, are under in the nation of China. What if in worship you were just here and you were praising God and you were worshiping Him and you felt God speak to you to go to Beijing and stand on the street corner and preach? To preach Christ, to preach the cross, to preach repentance of sin. Would you go? It'd be a one-way ticket, most likely. You wouldn't really need to punch in your frequent flyer number because you'd probably never be seen again. This is what God is asking Jonah to do. And because of the tension between these two countries, because of the tension between Jews and Gentiles, even if Jonah's mission was successful and the Ninevites repented, Jonah would never be welcomed back in Israel because he had associated himself with the Gentiles. He would have been seen as a traitor, as a defector. And so this is the backdrop. This is the context. This is what's happening here where God is speaking to Jonah. But what I want you to see in this, don't miss this, that in God sending Jonah on this mission trip to Nineveh, God is demonstrating his radical love for all people. God is sending Jonah to preach repentance because he is extending to the Ninevites an opportunity to repent and to receive God's grace. And the question Jonah wrestles with and the question we most likely would wrestle with in that situation is how could God extend grace to such wicked and evil people? This extreme example of God's love shows us just how extreme God's love is. God loves all people. God loves all people. The good, the bad, the wicked, the sinful, the saint. God loves all people, all nations. God is sending Jonah to a foreign nation. God loves all races. God loves all colors, all creeds, all nationalities, all cultures, all languages. God's love does not stop at the border. God's love knows no bounds. God's love is not bound by national borders. This is why we send missionaries. Because missions is the heartbeat of God. The nations of the world is the heartbeat of God. The people of the world. And so we send missionaries. We are a missions church. We send missionaries from here to a foreign city, to a foreign language, to a foreign nation, to a foreign 
culture that has different ideas and different values and different ways of doing things because God loves all the people of the world. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How could God love those people? Listen, God shows his love in this, that he dies for sinful people. And thank God that he does. If God did not love sinful people, there would be no place for me in his family. If God did not love sinners and die for sinners and shed his blood for his enemies, there would be no place for you in his family. And what Jonah is going to find out is that he needs the grace of God in his life just as much as the Ninevites need it in their life. Yet at this point in the story, and as we get to the conclusion, as, as we find out in chapter 4, that the reason Jonah doesn't want to obey God is not necessarily because he's afraid of the people. He's afraid that God might give these people grace instead of judgment. That, that's what he tells God. He gets mad at God at the end of the story in chapter 4. He says, God, this is why I didn't want to go. I knew you're a gracious God full of compassion, love, and mercy. And I wanted you to judge these people. That's what's in Jonah's heart. Jonah cannot comprehend the grace of God. He cannot comprehend the love of God. He disagrees with God's decision to love sinful people. And so he runs from God. But where Jonah failed... Jesus was victorious. Where Jonah ran from his calling, Jesus embraced his calling. Where Jonah ran from the lost, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. When Jonah wanted judgment to come upon the sinners of Nineveh, Jesus took our judgment so that sinners could receive the grace of God. Jonah didn't want to go to a people who were not like him. Yet we see in Jesus someone who crosses all social boundaries, reaching out to those who are the afflicted and the outcast. We see Jesus minister to a demoniac who lives in a graveyard. That's pretty wild stuff. We see Jesus go to, to, to a Samaritan woman to minister to her at a well, someone who was an outcast, who was shunned from her community. We see Jesus bringing in tax collectors these were defectors from the people of God to the Roman state. He, we see them bring, him bringing them into his inner circle in, in uh, the disciple he called named Levi and when he saves Zacchaeus. 
We see Jesus bringing Simon the Zealot. This, this was an anarchist into his discipleship, into his inner circle. We see Jesus minister to Roman centurions. And even with his dying breath, Jesus ministers to a thief on the cross. And here's what I want you to see. Now we, God's people, empowered by God's Spirit, the risen Christ alive inside of us, Jesus calls on us to follow his example of extending this kind of radical love. He teaches us to love even our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. He calls us into his mission of taking good news to broken people. And Jonah's not the only one who runs from his call. The story doesn't stop with Jonah. The truth is that all of us, in some way or another, do the exact same thing. There's two ways that we run from the call of God in our life. The first is that we run from God's call of repentance. The call of God is going out today. The good news of Jesus Christ is going out today. The, the call to repentance and faith in Christ, the, the, the call to, to turning away from sin and trusting in Jesus for grace and forgiveness, that call is going out today. Yet so many people run from that call on their life. They try to drown out the voice of God by, by, by getting away from God, by, by leaving God's place in the house of God and, and running out into the world and to the cultures of the world. And, and they try to do everything they can, preoccupy themselves as they think they can ignore or run from God. Let me tell you something, you cannot run from God. Jonah's going to figure that out really quick. The call of God is going out today. God is calling you to, to join his family, to, to, to put your faith in Christ, to receive him as your savior. Don't run from the call of God. We're also going to find that God pursues those who run from his call. You might have stepped into church today. This might be the first time you've been in church in 20 years. You're here today because God is pursuing you. He is running after you. He is chasing you down. So many times we attempt to live our lives apart from God's ways and, and living uh, as a part of God's family. We attempt to live life on our own. And so God must seek after each one of us. The second way we run from God is, as the people of God, we run from participation in what God has called us to do. We, we run from sharing the gospel. We run from sharing the message of forgiveness of sin with others. Jesus has called all of his people to be active in sharing the good news of salvation through Christ. Jesus said, go into all the world and to preach and to proclaim the gospel. That's called the Great Commission. It's called great because it's to all of us. 
It's not just to a select few or those who are called to vocational ministry or, or those who are really good at preaching or, or those who have been to Bible school. No, that is a general call for all of God's people. You are called to be a witness for Christ. Wherever you're at, in your family, in your workplace, even with people you don't like, people not like you, people you disagree with, people who don't share your, your views on, on, on values or, or even in the political sphere. You are called to love them by sharing the good news of Jesus with them. Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. All of us are called to to participate in the Great Commission, yet we run from that so often. The call to love our enemies, the call to pray for those who persecute us. Listen, people of God, hear the call of God that goes out today. Rise to another level of thinking. Don't, Don't... don't get trapped into the, 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 the politicizing that tries to tear our nation apart. We're to pray for everyone. We're to love everyone. We're to minister to anyone who's in front of us. Amen. The people of God. Because that is the heart of God. It is the heart of God. We claim to believe the scriptures that teach us to love our enemies and to pray for the people who persecute us and to share the gospel, yet we struggle to put it into practice. So the question I want to leave you with today is, will you run or will you answer the call of God today? I told you, you can't run from God. Jonah thought he could run from God. He can't do it, and you can't either. God is going to pursue Jonah with his love and grace. God is pursuing you today with his love and with his grace. Have you run from his call to put your faith in Jesus? There's this story in the New Testament that Jesus tells about this son who runs away from his father. He takes half of his father's possessions and he goes away to a foreign country and he spends all of his father's money on wild living. The Bible says on prostitutes. Devours half of his father's estate in debauchery. He comes to his senses and he comes home to his father and he expects that when he returns home, his father's going to reject him. He expects that when he returns home, his father's going to see what he's done with his estate and he's going to lecture him. But the Bible tells us when when he returns home and the father sees his son on the horizon, you know what the father does? He runs to him. He runs to him. And he doesn't give him a lecture. He embraces him. 
You need to know today that if you have run from God, the Father is running after you. He is chasing you down. He doesn't have condemnation for you. He doesn't have a lecture for you. He has an embrace for you. Forgiveness of sins, grace, love, and mercy is what he has for you. Listen, if you've been running from God, all you have to do is stop running and turn around. And God is right there. God is right there. You know, sometimes we think that if we ran from God, that, that we have to get ourselves back to the place where we were when we started running from God. That we have to make that journey on our own. And the truth is that we don't. That God sends his son to get us and to bring us back to him. That we don't have to make that journey back to the Father on our own that Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is the one who bridges the gap. Jesus is the one who pays the price for sin. Jesus is the one who covers our debt. Amen. So turn to God today. Stop running. Stop running. Have you run from God's call to share your faith with others? Stop running. Have you fallen into the trap of, of thinking about people who aren't like you as somehow undeserving of God's love and grace and mercy and the gospel message. Don't be like Jonah. Be like Jesus. Stop running. You know, some, of, some people will ask and they will say, I, I just, I don't understand. I, I, how could God love me, the things that I've done? What could God possibly find in me to love? And I've often wondered that question myself. God, how can you love me? But the truth is that God, the reason God loves you is, is not because of who you are. It's because of who he is. It's not because of what's in you. It's because of what's in him. That God's acceptance of you is not based on the things that you do. God's acceptance of you into his family is based on what he has done for you. And so you can come to him. He has made a way for you to be reconciled to himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Lord, even as all of us have run from you, we've gone our own way. The Bible says, like all of us have, sh like sheep, gone astray. Yet, you have laid on your son Jesus our sin and shame so that we could receive your love, your forgiveness, your grace. Lord, forgive us for running from you. God, we turn to you in faith, trusting in you. Lord, as you have called all of us to be participants in extending your love and grace and mercy, sharing this good news of what you've done for us, Lord, forgive us for running from that call. Lord, that you've called us to be salt and you've called us to be light. You've called us to bear your name and to be your sons and daughters. 
Lord, let us shine before men that people would see our good deeds and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Lord, today we, we as a church, we decide to stop running from the call and to be the people you've called us to be in our families, in our communities, in our workplace, in our city, to shine your light, to shine your love, a love that knows no boundaries, a love that goes to all the people of the world. Lord, help us to love people who aren't like us. Lord, not with our weak and imperfect love, but with your radical, unending, perfect love. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.